Championship Wrestling. We are live for WCW Monday Nitro. Two hours of professional wrestling's number one television program. Tonight's arena, a capacity crowd. Metal seat to be found because we are where the big boys play World Championship Wrestling. Tony Schiavone along with Larry Zabisco, the living legend for hour number one. We're going to open up with a semifinal match in the U.S. title tournament between Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero. They met five weeks ago on this very same Welcome to Where the Big Boys Play. Welcome to 20 years of Nitro, our chronological breakdown of World Championship Wrestling's flagship show, where each episode is real... Uh, what now? <laughs> Where each episode is viewed, reviewed, analyzed, and categorized as we compile an audio anthology of our tour along the southern front of wrestling's Monday Night Wars. I am your host, Tim Root, and with me, <laughs> as always, it's my broadcast colleague, Dave Amantorp. Before we begin... Dave, let me wish you a very heartfelt season's beatings. Oh, no. <laughs> Ow. <laughs> now, before we get to today's sh- what realistic selling. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm still pretty green when it comes to my audio selling. Ow. Quit it. Come on. Stop it. Before I'm we get busy. Before we get to today's show, I want to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at 20 Years of Nitro. You can check us out at Facebook at Facebook.com slash 20 Years of Nitro. And you can email the show at 20 Years of Nitro at gmail.com. Now, today is December 23rd, 1996, and we are coming to you live from the Macon Coliseum in Macon, Georgia, in front of 4,900 fans who paid a total gate of $63,400. That is a record for pro wrestling in Macon, Georgia, and a record for this building entirely, beating a record previously held by country music's Reba McIntyre. I probably would have guessed it was a country act. (laughs) Now, this is the 67th episode of WCW Monday Nitro and the go-home show for Starcade 1996. Tony Schiavone wishes us happy holidays as he opens up this edition of television's number one wrestling program. Tony tells us that we're kicking things off tonight with the semifinal match in the U.S. title tournament with Eddie Guerrero taking on Chris Benoit. We flash back to five weeks ago, November 18th, where Benoit got a clean win over Eddie. Their televised record in WCW now lies at six wins, six losses, and two, uh, I think, one no contest and one count out, so two no finishes. So this so is another rubber match? This is, uh, yes, another one of many rubber matches they will <laughs> they will probably have. I, I just appreciate the fact that they acknowledged this previous uh, this previous match they had with each other, which is, I mean, five weeks ago was not that long ago. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think the reason they do, and it goes on with, with my very next note, is Larry says that Benoit is the favorite. And so oh, I yes. think they show yeah. the replay of Benoit getting a clean win in their last match yep. to just establish, hey, the heel is the favorite here, and he's going to kick the crap out of the guy you like. and. There's no way Eddie can win, right. even though he statistically has a perfectly even chance of winning. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to make a note before we really get into it that um, on the opening promo, we still have the red and yellow Hulk Hogan and Blonde Sting. 
Yeah, I'll also interject here because I know I don't have a ton about it in my notes. Um, in 1996, Christmas is about to happen. In 2019, Christmas just happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, they've got like a lot of like little garlands on the announce desk, um, you know, different Christmas themes and the commercial packages that they put or like uh, the screens you see before commercials. So I don't talk about it in my notes too much, but there is like Christmas theming throughout the show tonight there's there's some effort but it's a very low effort yes it's for some reason i feel like i would have been happier if they didn't do anything because it's kind of (laughs) there's like a couple of bows on the entrance ramp yeah it's just kind of sad sure yeah it is it is pretty minimal i would agree with that (laughs) because i know that um i feel like every year raw has always been like let's get all these presents and trees and stuff like that like they're always about all about the christmas episode Benoit walks to the ring alone. Uh, we don't have any horseman or woman accompan- accompanying him tonight. He is barely to the ring steps with his music still playing before Eddie Guerrero hurries down and is like halfway down the aisle. And he's halfway down the aisle before his music even starts. He gets like yeah. 10 seconds of his music. This is a weirdly very rushed beginning to this match. I was sort of guessing that they wanted time because they know these guys are great wrestlers and they're going to have a good match. Yeah. Um, but that they had so much else going on that they were like, that time is coming out of the entrances. So just like get your asses down there, get in the <laughs> ring and start this thing. Yeah. Which I'm fine with. I mean, the entrances at in Nit- on Nitro at this point are not, like, super long anyway. Yeah, that's true. Randy Anderson calls for the bell, and here to call all the U.S. title tourney action is our own champion of America, Dave Amantorp. Um, One other thing I just wanted to point out was the fact that they had this match on November 18th, so they had a recent match. Yeah. And I feel like it plays into the psychology of this match. Sure. Um, as, you, as there's a lot of... Um, you know, like they've learned their opponent very well, so they're countering uh, more of their like patented moves. Yeah. Um, so I, I mentioned that there was that weird pacing to the entrances, and also either they didn't ring the bell, or you couldn't hear it. There's just I never mm. heard the bell ring. This match starts off predictably violent, as it's obvious they face each other before, as they exchange hard slaps before Benoit flattens Eddie with a shoulder tackle. He gets in Eddie's face with a forward-fingered salute of the horseman, and Eddie counters with punches and chops in the corner. As they fly around the ring, dropping each other with snapmares and arm drags, a Kevin Sullivan promo, complete with spooky lighting, interrupts (laughs) our fun. Sullivan is pretty unhappy with Benoit stealing his girl, going as far as to quote Genghis Khan. According to him, Genghis Khan said, You have awoken something that you should have left alone as he beheaded his brother. Yeah, uh, so I looked into that. I don't, did you? Yes, I did. Okay. Did you find anything? Because I did not find that, that that he said that. Yeah, I could not find the quote attributed to Genghis Khan, and he did not behead his brother either. Him and his one of his brothers, Kesar, did kill their half-brother, Bector, in 1180, which is about 20 years or so before he became like... Yeah, he was uh, like a teenager when it happened, and it yeah. was about food. Like, uh, yeah. Bector was hoarding... There was like a food shortage and his half brother was hoarding food. And so for like the good of the family and community, they thought they had to kill him yeah. as like a lesson to make sure you share your shit. Yeah. And in from what I've read, it, he shot him with an arrow. He didn't behead yes, him. Yes. That's also what I found. We, but we might have read the same thing. Yeah. So I also liked the taskmaster saying that you've just fallen into the ultimate trap, which is like unless woman was in on it, which yeah. we know she's not uh-huh. like Benoit has not fallen into any trap. It's like your enemy completely got one up on you, and you're like, ha, 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 
you're right where I want you. And it's like, no, I'm not. Yeah, and he, he's going on to say, like, well, you took my queen, but yeah. really it's about taking the king. Right. When it's like, if you're playing chess and you just lost your queen, but it's like, oh, but I'm going to take your king later, it's like, I don't feel like you're really at an advantage. Yeah, yeah, good luck without your the king queen. Because the king can't do much at all. <laughs> I just, I just, I, I think... I get where he was going. Yeah. I like the quote. It's it's like a good quote as far as like, you're waking this beast within me by t- stealing my girl. Basically. I think he would have been better served because there's the similar quote um, from the uh, Japanese Admiral right after Pearl Harbor, where he said, um, I might get the wording is a, a little bit off, but he said like, I fear we've woken a sleeping giant and filled him with, horrible resolve i think it is terrible resolve and it's like that kind of sounds like the quote because it's like you woken i don't know it just was like it sort of sounded like a famous quote but it it's not and i don't think it is a real quote at all i think he's just relying on the fact that the internet's not that common and no one's gonna bother looking it up (laughs) right yeah that's what i was also thinking about because i'm like i realize i mean he doesn't he can't just google this sort of stuff maybe he doesn't even have a book about it so he just remembers a quote yeah thinks is attributed to Genghis Khan. He probably didn't go to the library to look it up or anything. Yeah, well, you, you're gonna get on Alta Vista. You're gonna do a dog pile search. Are you gonna do Hotbot <laughs> or Encyclopedia Britannica? Yeah, probably more accurately. He's or just uh, get a what was the, the Encarta? Remember yeah, Encarta. I I just if I'm picturing Kevin Sullivan, I picture that computers are very frustrating for him. <laughs> yeah, that's probably likely. So. Anyway, that's a lot of information about a Kevin Sullivan promo. Yeah. It's, it's still like, we're still going on with this feud. I just don't... Cause, like, these two guys never see each other. It also sucks that we are starting off with this match between two of the best workers in the company for this important prestigious title tournament. And here we're sitting watching an inset promo mm-hmm. for the Taskmaster. Now... They definitely get the word to Benoit and Guerrero, or they know at, like, one minute in, because they slow way down, and they're doing, like, chin locks the whole time this is going on. Yeah. Um, but it's still just, like, you know, they rush down to the ring, because clearly they want to get in a bunch of stuff, and it's like, well, we're wasting time now. We're literally just wasting time. Yeah. Well, don't worry. The interruptions are not going to end know, there. I know. After the promo ends, we get about three seconds of headlock exchanges before Diamond Dallas Page appears on the entrance ramp. To a big pop, by the way. Oh, huge, yeah. Uh, immediately, he heads over to the commentary table. And the camera does not go back to the match. The camera oh, no, follows no. him down the aisle, over to commentary, yep. watch him get a headset on. Right, even though Tony Chavani's explaining this, so right. we don't have to see it. Yep. Uh, we now learn that apparently Zabisco's long sleeve denim Monday Nitro shirt doubles as his fighting shirt. <laughs> but DDP <laughs> just wants a bird-eye view of the tournament action as he will face a winner in the finals for the United States Championship at Starcade on Sunday. So he has a good reason to come out. Yeah. I just feel like that maybe we don't have to be distracted from the match to do that. Yeah, he's not bad on commentary. They should have just had him start off. He could have just been in the booth at the start of the show. It would have been fine. Yeah. Uh, once we get back to the in-ring action, Guerrero counters a knee-breaker attempt into a sunset flip for two, which was kind of reminiscent of how Benoit beat Guerrero in the first place. Ah. Then brings Benoit to the mat with a, another headlock. The two trade off pinning attempts as we head to a commercial break, as they are hell bent on making sure we see as little of this match as possible. <laughs> when we return, Eddie comes off the ropes and gets stun gunned by Benoit with the highest elevation possible. It looks fantastic, and the crowd just like pops like crazy. Yeah. 
you don't see that very often for like a stun gun, but they it's an execution that really makes it. An enraged Benoit slaps Eddie some more, telling him to ask Sullivan about the consequences of messing with a crippler. And Eddie fights back with punches. Benoit then rakes the eyes, which ends the comeback. Now we get to my favorite moment, in which Chris Benoit power bombs Eddie Guerrero straight to the depths of hell, <laughs> then jaws at the camera. Yeah. He's pointing at it, and he's like, this is the consequences, basically. <laughs> and the way it's shot, it looks amazing. Like, he looks like a... Oh, Jesus. I was about to say, he looks like a killer. <laughs> oh, God I didn't even... <laughs> I <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the way it goes when you're yeah. doing his, his stuff. <laughs> right. Unable to secure the victory with a subsequent cover, Benoit opts to kick Eddie in the ribs and head as a means of venting his frustration. Benoit applies a reverse chin lock while Zabisco says a lot of sexist stuff to Shivani as DDP laughs, <laughs> like an idiot. Yeah. It's a lot of... Like, who wears the pants in the family? Why isn't she making you your sandwich in the kitchen? Yeah. And DDP is like, oh, he got you there, Tony. Yeah. He's there's really some, leading into it. It's There's some bits, too, where DDP is talking about his female trainer and how she oh, keeps yeah. him in good shape and yeah. all this. And, yeah. and then Larry's talking about him like, don't put those images in my head, Larry. <laughs> when he takes his fight off. <laughs> uh Benoit chops Eddie, but an Irish whip is countered into a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker from Guerrero, who then calls for the frog splash. Benoit catches him as he climbs the turnbuckle and hits a superplex, one where he hits the back of his head hard on the mat and makes you uncomfortable watching in hindsight. After kicking out, Eddie surprises Benoit with a small package for two. They exchange more hard chops in the corner, and Benoit gains the upper hand, lifting Guerrero for a suplex before laying him out on the top rope. A cover with assistance of the ropes is unsuccessful as referee Randy Anderson sees the leverage. It's the the leverage is more imaginary than ever. He just oh yeah yeah he like he needs a reason why the pin is like illegal. I don't know if they're just not in the right spot exactly or what, but like mm-hmm. it's not the finish. So Benoit just he's standing for this pin and he just lazily reaches forward and like leans one arm on the ropes. He's it would never the ropes. He, he lays his yeah, hand on it the would, ropes. In a million years, it would not help you at all. Right. It's so stupid. Yeah. It's just, it's unfortunate. Eddie should have grabbed the bottom rope or something instead of what, <laughs> instead yeah. of this. Uh, Benoit then sets Guerrero on the top turnbuckle. But when he goes up, that referee is Back on the uh, middle rope again. Randy For Anderson. what reason? I don't understand the reason. I don't know if it's because he's so short. He just is. It's fun for him. I don't know. But he's indi- He's like he's patting Benoit on the shoulder, indicating he's doing something illegal. Yeah, which he's not. And Benoit is not interested as he just basically knocks Randy Anderson off the ropes. Which yeah. I'm like, good for him because the referee shouldn't be up there. Yeah, no kidding. However, this gives Eddie the opportunity he needs to knock Benoit off the ropes. Guerrero then leaps off the top backwards, turns in midair, mm-hmm. and hits a frog splash, which it d- doesn't look great. Yeah, but it's good improvising. It looks pretty. Co- I like the impact isn't cool, but the twisting part is cool yes. as hell. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he hits the frog splash and gets the pinfall victory. So Eddie Guerrero has uh, now. Defeated Benoit, he's going to the finals. So it's going to be Eddie Guerrero versus Diamond Dallas Page for United States Championship at Starcade, and that sounds fantastic. Have we had 
I'm trying to think of another lineup that has sounded as good in ring as Starcade is looking. Because you've got Liger Mysterio. Yep. You've got Malenko um, Ultimo Dragon. Ultimo Dragon. Mm-hmm. You've got DDP Guerrero. Mm-hmm. I guess it does drop off there pretty bad. Well, I mean, Outsiders versus Faces of Fear should be pretty sweet. Yeah, that should be big guys kicking, throwing each other around. Yeah. Um, I'm not expecting good wrestling from Hogan Piper, but it could be a good spectacle if like they do the right amount of smoke and mirrors. Like it could be an entertaining fifteen minute match or whatever. I and I think uh, Luger versus Giant could be interesting. There could be good ma- moments. There. I mean that that could end up being a disaster too. That's very well possible. Okay, but uh, those those three matches, yeah, sound like as good as three matches. And and WCW is always pay per view is always like even the bad ones have something. Like we've got Mysterio versus Ultimo Dragon on Hog Wild. You know, like there's always yeah. they always give you something. Yeah, I mean Hogwell because it had that and it had the that fantastic Benoit Malenko match as oh, well. Oh yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah, um, I would have to look. I feel like Hogwell had some good matches on there. But yeah. No, this, this there is like there are like three matches that I'm legitimately like really yeah. excited because yeah. I I honestly have not seen this particular arcade in yeah. forever, like sure. probably twenty years. Sweet. Um, I don't. I generally don't remember how the Piper Hogan thing plays out and not getting into spoilers at this point, but yeah. how it plays out towards the end. Um, so there's a lot of that show that is going to feel like brand new for me. Sure. So I'm really pumped. I'm really pumped for that pay-per-view. And now we have uh, one of our big title matches, uh, the tournament final. Mm-hmm. It's actually, if you remember, there's two tournament finals for titles. Oh my God, the women! Because of women, don't even talk about them at all. <laughs> right? That's God, yeah. It is such. And, and uh, here's a spoiler for this episode: they never bring it up. Yeah, here. not once. It, they don't even say that on Starcade we'll see the finals. It's like it's like they had the women's championship tournament, but that one, like. They suffered when Ric Flair went out because then yeah. they had, oh, wait, we actually have a men's tournament to do instead? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, ladies. <laughs> We're a little busy right now. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, to wrap up on that match, I thought it was pretty good, but they've had better, and it might be yeah. that they had so much distractions going on that it took the performers out of it early a little bit or something. I don't know. Yeah, it was hard to really get a good idea of how the match was going. I, yeah. I like... You could tell from their previous matches that they're upping the ante. I mean, they're getting physical. They're slapping each other. They're getting worked up. They're, I mean, they're trying their best to to one up what they've done before. Yeah. And but this one just had. I mean, there were just a lot of like the goofy things that distracted. And like you said, like the the guys in the ring are going into rest holds, and we don't. These guys don't need to do rest holds if they're doing a ten minute match. Right. You know. So. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's always a benefit of seeing a Guerrero Benoit match, but like you've said, uh, they've had better than this. Uh, DDP is looking forward to facing Guerrero at the Starcade. He tells Burrito Boy that mm. he has two words for him: Diamond Cutter. Yeah, they also made the the joke about like all of his different brothers, and they named the three Stooges or yeah, something like that. Um, they were the Marx Brothers that he was. Either naming. way, yeah, yeah. He also, they talk about how he's too emotional because of uh, that fiery Latin temper. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we see replays, and Larry Zabisco gets in my good graces by getting on Randy Anderson's case for climbing all over those ropes unnecessarily. <laughs> so Larry and I are on the same page for once. Which which is like, damn you, referee <laughs> Randy Anderson. It's your fault that I'm agreeing with Larry Zabisco. 
I don't. I it. I know it's to set up a distraction yeah. for Benoit. Yeah. But I just, as a fan that knows, has an idea of what the rules are. Right. There's no reason why he should be stopping him from doing a superplex. Yeah. It just it boggles the mind, and it's just I you know we've talked about this since the beginning of Monday Nitro. Yeah. The big difference. In, in which like WSW is far inferior to WWF is the refereeing. Absolutely. I mean, they've 100%. always, they always find a way to make the referees a negative impact yep. on these matches. We go to mean Gene, who is in the aisle, not to talk to Eddie Guerrero, of course, but let's do yet another goddamn horseman promo. <laughs> right. Well, it, it's, I, I didn't know what was coming up, but I was like, yeah. he's, it's going to be like Ric Flair, right? Right. I was close. Cause it's all four. It's all of them. Out comes Mongo, Deborah, Arn, and Flair uh, to meet up with Benoit, who retreats from the ring. They're going to be hanging from the rafters all night long tonight on Nitro. Let's welcome, ladies and gentlemen, the four horsemen, Steve Mongo McMichael, the enforcer, Arn Anderson, the pageant queen, Deborah McMichael, and the 13th time. WCW heavyweight champion of the world, the Nature Boy, Rick Flair. <laughs> gentlemen, gentlemen, Chris Benoit coming off a very, very difficult match here during this holiday season tonight on Nitro. That had to be an unanticipated and unsuspecting loss for him tonight. I want to talk to Chris Benoit a moment or two, but Arn Anderson. We vividly recall last week you taking a real shellacking at the hands of Kevin Sullivan, the Taskmaster, going one on one. Many say that this should have been Benoit's match, but you were there instead of Benoit. Right now, your thoughts regarding that subject. A focused Chris Benoit would have never lost that match, but that's another story. Yes, any man in this audience, what his worst nightmare is. He'll tell you it's coming home from a hard day's work, opening his front door, walking in and seeing some other man sitting on the couch with his woman. But there's one that goes worse than that. It's being the man sitting on that couch when that door gets kicked open and that husband or boyfriend comes flying in the door and you see that rage in his eyes because you know no matter what that man does to you, no matter how severe, you deserve it. Well, last week I saw that rage in a man's eyes and I smelled it on his breath. And every time Sullivan pumped one of those fists into my face, I knew somebody deserved it. And Chris Benoit, that somebody is you. I took that beating for you last week because I'm a horseman and you're a horseman. Flair's a horseman. Benoit, Zebra, yeah. They're all horsemen, and we made a pact. But just like she wasn't here last week to witness that beating that I feel like is her fault, by God, why wasn't she here this week? Whoa, whoa. Enough about that little creature. I mean, we are sick and tired of hearing about woman this and woman that. And let me tell you, I am the beautiful one here, and people only want to hear and look at me. And you know, Chris, honey, you know, the next time that you want to have an affair, you need to let me know because I have plenty of beautiful girlfriends that have met at this Crimson Tide pageant that would just love to go out with you. I mean, well, they're not as pretty as I am because 
I did win the pageant anyway. But Chris, honey, you are a four horseman, and you do not deserve damaged goods. Chris Benoit. Second here, Arn Anderson. First of all, woman is tending to horseman business right at this moment. Second of all, I don't appreciate all the unjust allegations of all this partying and infidelities and that. Woman and I were over in Germany for a purpose. We spent days, 18-hour days, having meetings, talking about the horsemen and how they're uncoming at the seams. We've devised a plan to reunite the horsemen and bring them to what they're supposed to be. As for you, Deborah. Uh-oh. Talk to the hand! Talk to the hand! Because the man don't understand. First of all, Deborah. Two steps back, my friend. Just take it. two steps back. What she call you, her stallion? Well, you need to put the bit back in those teeth and get that mouth shut when you're addressing this woman here, because that's my woman, son. And when you're talking to her like that, you walking on the fighting side of me. boy going through one of his Jean, bits. The horsemen are alive. Woo! And well. And Deborah, I've never seen you. And you, brother, you just dream about it. Woo! Thank you, the nature boy, Ric Flair. There seems to be a lot of turmoil, but I've covered the horsemen for a long, long time. And it sometimes seems to me like they react for the better in these kind of situations. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Stay tuned, we've got more Nitro live as they're hanging from the rafters here tonight in the heart of Dixie. Arn speaks first and says that a focused Benoit would have never lost that match. Oof. He then goes on to say that a man's worst fear is walking in on his wife and another man, but even worse is the fear of being that other man because you know whatever that woman's husband is going to do to you, you deserve it. Wow. Tell us how you really feel, man. <laughs> Arn says last week he was that other man in the eyes of Kevin Sullivan, but it's Benoit who deserved the beating, not him. <laughs> now, he took that beating because he's a horseman, just like everyone who's there, but once again, woman is not there. Deborah interjects himself into the conversation to loud booze. She, her new, yeah. uh, like, braggy heel... Uh, beauty queen thing is quickly I, I mean it's supposed to get over as a heel thing so yeah. it's working I right now I'm not sure if it's the good booing or bad booing that's a good question uh, especially w- since I, we talked about before that her regular promos were, were very good yeah I yeah. thought but the these promos are not good 
Uh, Deborah says that next time Benoit wants to get his rocks off, he should call her and she'll hook him up with one of the other beauty queens. Uh, not th- they don't look as good as her, of course, because she won. Yeah, but they're still beauty queens, <laughs> right? I, for the record, she does not say if you want to get your rocks off. <laughs> Although she should have. Well, I keep in mind the people are hearing the audio clip before we talk about it, so <laughs> they know. Oh, okay. I I I never quite yeah. know when these clips are coming. Yeah. In, so uh, she calls woman damaged goods. Benoit <laughs> claims that woman is taking care of horseman business. He doesn't appreciate the accusations of infidelity, which is an odd stance to take, given that he keeps mailing Sullivan videos of him and woman together, <laughs> and then they play him on Nitro? No, He's just be... like, "Who? where are you guys getting this idea that we're sleeping together? It would be uh, That would be a funny gimmick if he was like, hey, we're just friends, okay? <laughs> friends like to cuddle and drink wine. On the streets of Paris. Yeah, and said like, one of the friend's husband's a video. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> he wants to know how much fun we're having. Yeah, my bishop took your queen was not a reference to anything. We just like played chess against each other. It's just totally an example of why there is some benefit to scripted promos. Yes. Because when guys yeah. improvise, they end up contradicting the storyline all the time. Yeah. We just see that constantly. We see guys say things that... You have to just ignore that one sentence because it, if it were true, it completely it either makes Benoit like a laughably bad liar. It makes the other horsemen stupid for like not calling him on it. You just kind of have to be like, that didn't happen. I'm going to yeah. pretend that well, that never got like, said. Arn Anderson said something negative about Benoit. Yeah, and Benoit should respond, but he should be responding the right way. Right, in which maybe something about like, why didn't you guys have my back if you think I, I'm like for, f- messing up or something yeah. like that but like yeah just completely denying like the blatantly obvious <laughs> benoit speaking of benoit being a terrible liar he then claims that he and woman have been having 18 hour meetings to talk about how to get the horseman back on track yeah it's um i think he just calls it horseman business yeah <laughs> what like what on earth <laughs> like what, what sort hour of, meeting? What sort of meetings could they have that do not involve the rest of the horsemen? Yeah, are they bringing in hours? psychologists? Are they bringing like coaches? And are they leaders? talking? Are they talking like brand opportunities? Yeah, marketing experts? <laughs> it's it's baffling. Expanding the 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 horseman image across the nations. Benoit goes to address Deborah directly, but Mongo doesn't like that and ends up. Uh, so he kind of takes a step and starts talking, and Benoit, which is which is weird. This is a weird moment because I feel like Benoit actually has something he needs to say. Oh sure, and maybe Mongo didn't really have an interjection line. Yeah, but he's like, okay, if you talk about Deborah, then I'm free to interrupt. Right, and he just keeps yelling until he until Benoit finally is like, okay, whatever, say whatever you're gonna say. Yeah, Mongo takes a step towards him, and in a moment of peak '90s, Benoit does the talk to the hand. Yep. Uh, sticks the hand in his face. Uh, if you were not alive in the 90s, this was just a thing that was popular. Uh, no one knows exactly, or at least I couldn't find the internet where it started. It got be popular apparently through Martin, the sitcom, the Martin Lawrence sitcom. Oh, okay. But you also would see it all over like Jerry Springer and Ricky Lake, the trashy talk shows of the era, Yeah, where someone, if you did not like what someone else was saying or you were telling them that you you were just going to ignore them, you actually put your hand in their face or at least held your, your palm up to them and said, talk to the hand. And then often it was like, because the head ain't listening. Mm-hmm. Or uh, in this case, uh, the full one that Benoit says is, talk to the hand because the man don't understand. Yeah. Uh, 
Now, it was a big thing that was all over. I mean, that's evidenced here because, like, Benoit is not somebody who at all comes across as aware of pop culture. Right. Like, if there is the last person on Earth who should be doing Talk to the Hand. Oh, Malenko. (laughs) Okay. The the second to last person. There there you go. It's so out of character. It's so bizarre. Yeah. It's really, really strange to see, even as someone who remembers when that saying was everywhere. Mm. It just does not fit with the Benoit character at all. Uh, Mongo, <laughs> Mongo tells Benoit to keep his mouth shut while addressing Deborah. Which, like, how are you going to address Deborah then? <laughs> He's like, you keep your mouth shut while addressing my wife. <laughs> right. I don't know how to do you that. You shut up when you're talking, sir. <laughs> Flair tries to make Peacemaker by reminding everyone that it's just two days before Christmas. (laughs) Flair says that, of course, after living with Sullivan for 10 years, woman deserves a weekend with Benoit. He then dances around all crazy-like. He declares the horsemen are alive and well, kisses up to Deborah, and goes to hug Arn. He is just like, hey, you guys, you're not mad. We're all having fun. We all like each other. Everything's great. But so like Arn Anderson is like, you can understand how Sullivan's mad at you because yeah. you're sleeping with his wife. And Benoit's like, no, that's not happening. And Flair says, after 10 years, she deserves a weekend where she gets fucked by Benoit. <laughs> <laughs> like Flair understands. <laughs> Just, I, I, it's like, it's like Rick Flair's, you know, he's trying his best to bring this group together. But he's also, he's also like, I know what they're doing over there, okay? <laughs> but also, have you considered that Deborah is just so beautiful? <laughs> it, it, yeah, I feel like uh, the horsemen still have issues after this. Nothing's really been resolved. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I just It seems like bad leadership on Flair's part. Mm-hmm. He's the leader of the horsemen, and they're coming apart at the scenes, and he's just like dancing around and yelling and is just like pretending... He's like he's just pretending that mom and dad aren't mad at each other. And and does didn't his response sort of seem like, okay, you're here, but I feel like you weren't listening to what we were talking about. Absolutely, which he probably wasn't. He probably wasn't. <laughs> he was probably just telling some fat boy in the front row to shut up. Or <laughs> after a commercial, we come back to the NWO theme, and Hollywood Hogan, along with Vincent Elizabeth and Ted DiBiase, makes his way to the ring with the WCW Heavyweight Championship over his shoulder. Now. Do you feel is Vincent like the bodyguard? Is that what his role is? He security? yeah, I think you would call him like the enforcer. Yeah, um, because of that one time that he pushed Larry Zabisco around. <laughs> That's about yeah. it, really. Even though like Hogan's much bigger than him, yeah, <laughs> and DiBiase might be bigger than him too. And Nash and Hall are bigger than him. Well, yeah, the, Bubba's bigger than him. The Scott giant, Norton, Scott the giant. Norton. <laughs> really, everyone but Six and Bagwell. Now, this would have been a good moment to have Norton come out. Yeah, it absolutely would have. I like, agree. Because, I, I mean, I I feel like, until they show otherwise, that they've just put him in the group, they don't really know what they're going to do with him yeah. yet. Um, I think it's clear that, e- that even this early, we are getting a delineation where the upper echelon of the NWO doesn't want to be seen too much with the lower guys yeah, in the NWO. I also, I mean, that's why, yeah, like Marcus Bagwell's not out here. Yeah. You know. Yes, NWO, well, NWO Sting, I swear, is doing his own thing every week. He is he's on some wild adventure, which we will we will address later on. 
I think the spotlights are on. He doesn't have enough. Yo, dudes, it's time for Hollywood, guys. Hey, I can smell Piper Mania running ragged. Where's Piper at? Hey, I'll tell you where Piper's at. He's hiding in the deepest, darkest hole he could find. You know, I tell you, man, I thought Piper might be the last one, the last of the men's men to come out here and take a whooping like he should. Is that Piper? Is that Piper out there? Yo, Roddy! Piper! No, 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 no. You don't get it. You don't get it. You just don't get it. Piper is afraid of Hollywood. I think we can put that to rest for crying out loud. He's not afraid of Hollywood. Oh, my. You see, everything's going my way. I was out in L.A. the other day, man. Kathy Melatesta, the head of Warner Brothers International, she said, you're the star of the whole network. I said, wrong. I'm the star of the NWO. Piper, you won't see him anymore, brother, because the only way I can say it is when you're the greatest wrestler in the history of this sport. You don't get it, do you? A hundred years from now, in the history books, when your kids look at Abe Lincoln, when they look at George Washington, when they look at wrestling, they're gonna see Rowdy, Roddy Piper, not, not. When they look at wrestling, they're gonna see Hollywood Hulk Hogan, the man that made wrestling what it is today, the man that took over the Turner Empire, the man that founded the NWO, the man that scared the skirt right off Rowdy Roddy Piper. Now, now, let me say this. Piper is not here, and it's easy for two weeks in a row to oh come gosh, out here Piper. and say this. No, I don't think so, because all you kids out there, all you people that aren't with the NWO for life, Roddy Piper is already hiding. Roddy Piper doesn't have enough guts to come out here and take a beating like he should. He is not here for so you know something? As we go into this next millennium. This is incredible. As we go into this next world with the NWO skyrocketing towards the clouds, you finally have to take it, swallow it, and eat it and believe it, that there is a packing order in the world of professional wrestling. And people like the Macho Man in his wheelchair. I got your wife, Macho Man. Hey, people like Flair, the stupid little man, and especially cowards like Rowdy Roddy Piper that wear a skirt are way down the pecking order because Hollywood Hogan is the man that made you people believe in wrestling, watch wrestling, and put the NWO on top of the world. Piper!
You're the biggest coward I've ever seen. You make me sick. Oh, I'm getting sick. He knows You're not even mad enough to wear that skirt. Obviously, it's easy being a big man and talking big. We entertain him, trillionaire Ted. And I don't mean with her. When you know that Piper is Thank not even in the building here. Go ahead, Hollywood. Two Get weeks after an intro from DiBiase and some posing from Hogan, Hogan says that tonight Piper is off hiding in the deepest, darkest hole he could find because <laughs> Piper is afraid of Hollywood. Hogan says that the other day he was told by Kathy Malatesta, that's right, THE Kathy Malatesta, Dave. What? 1996's <laughs> Kathy Malatesta? Uh, she's apparently a VP in Turner's uh, television organization. This was funny because... He says Kathy Molotessa. I'm like, yeah. who's that? Yeah. And then he immediately says, the VP of blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, thank you, Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> that was helpful. Because if he just said that, because yeah. that was going to be a last name where I'm like, I don't know how to look that up. I don't even yeah. know how, if Kathy's with a K or a C. There's no way I'm going to be able to figure out who this person is. I definitely is. think she's just somebody who might have the ability to put another zero on Hogan's paycheck. So he's right. getting her name on TV just to make her giggle a little bit kind of thing. But also when he asks later for that other zero. Yeah. Because that's the Hogan way of doing things. <laughs> uh, she told him that he was the star of the entire network. And he told her, no, I'm the star of the NWO. <laughs> and then he kidnapped her like he did Elizabeth. <laughs> Now, in a weird coincidence that uh, I just happened to notice while I was looking up Kathy Melatesta, she was a producer on Martin, the show that popularized Talk to the Hand. Oh, maybe that was one of her notes. <laughs> this should, Nitro needs more Talk to the Hand. <laughs> she, Have that angry guy say it. <laughs> like, for the first time, it's like, uh, Eric, I believe Kathy actually has, has a note here. And she says, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I feel like your show's really missing the talk to the hand yeah. thing. And Kids he's like, love he's it. like, great. I know just the person <laughs> to, to add that in. Maybe that, or that's something where he's like, Ben Watson, I hate that. Yeah. It'll be fun to make him do it. <laughs> Hogan then says that when the kids look up wrestling in their history books, they're going to see Rowdy Rowdy Piper. Not... I was going to say, like, this is a very 90s episode. Insanely 90s. Uh, if anyone doesn't know, that's also a thing that was around. You would say a thing that wasn't true, and then you would say not, and it was very funny. Yeah. Uh, I don't know who it coined it, but it was made big by Wayne's World, uh, Sarah Live sketch yeah. movie. That was definitely like where it time. Not. <laughs> uh, I... I I also feel like the people that listen to this show probably were. I uh, Most do, but you never yeah. know. You, you never, never know. know. That's true. Yeah. Uh, Hogan says that, of course, they'll actually see him when they look up wrestling in their history books, which oh. is definitely a section in history books is professional wrestling. Uh, you know, I was wondering where he's going with that. <laughs> he lists some of his accomplishments, including scaring the skirt off Piper. Shivani says, of course, Hogan talks tough now because Piper isn't here again this week. Uh, Hogan says, as we head to the next millennium, people need to accept that there is a pecking order in professional wrestling. He says that the Macho Man, he tells the Macho Man that he has his wife. He reminds old man Flair and cowards like Piper are way down at the bottom of the pecking order. He says that Piper is not even man enough to wear that skirt and that he makes Hogan sick. He then entertains the crowd with his usual hip gyrations, and Larry and Tony are appropriately disgusted. And he also does his his favorite thing where he pretends to spit. 
yes on the, on the ground in disgust yes hot i hope that he soon calls piper stinky because it feels like that we're headed big, that way giant that stinky. big stinky scotsman um so this is something that i was uh alluding to when we did our worldwide episode yeah um this is this seems already to be a very front-loaded show because we had like a big the big u.s title tournament match which started as quickly as possible um, at the beginning of the show. And now we're having Hogan in the begin, like the first hour. Um, yeah. With, I, I don't feel like they indicated that he was going to come out again. Uh, yeah, not really. So I was, I was curious if this was, if this is some sort of way of like, they want to have more like bigger moments, more exciting moments that happen right away. To yeah. Keep the attention from raw. Because I could I could see as a fan knowing that like well Hogan comes out the second hour yeah you know, or the NWO stuff happens hour two there's stuff in hour one that I can miss and watch Raw because they wait until the next hour yeah I think it, it's a I think it's a good strategy to kind of get it mixed in throughout the show um, I don't know why you wouldn't do that in the first place is have like highlights and middle card action like throughout the show but. It just it really stuck out this week. Yeah. Uh, especially since it's like segment two is Hogan. That that just seems very surprising. Agreed. After a commercial, uh, our Saturday night promo, they tell us uh, this Saturday night is actually just going to be a retrospective on the year 1996. Uh, all that was World Championship Wrestling in 96, hosted by Tony Schiavone and Dusty Rhodes. I might actually try to watch that one because that sounds kind of fun. I hope it's really focused on the Big Bubba versus John Tenta feud. <laughs> In which it's like, hey, remember the whole summer when all we did was just embarrass John Tenta? Yeah, and then he went away, and he's still with the company. We just never see him. Yeah, and then he got that payoff, supposedly, at um, Bash of the Beach. Oh, yeah. And then we just continued the feud anyway. Yeah, yeah. That was... <laughs> that we, yeah, we should um, at least talk about what they they consider the highlights on yeah. the, on Worldwide. After that, a large man with a large mullet makes his way to the ring. He has black pants, a black sleeveless rash guard, and a black vest on, as well as a brown Fu Manchu. He is Tombstone, and he showed up on Saturday night promising that come Nitro, he was going to take out Lex Luger. Tombstone is Al Poling. He's from New Jersey, he's 39 years old, and he was trained by Larry Sharp at the Monster Factory, which has trained many big-name stars, including the Giant, Bam Bam Bigelow, Raven, Seamus, and many more. The Monster Factory. He debuted in 1990. He worked in the Indies and got his big break in ECW. Uh, he was an enforcer for Sabu and Paul Heyman in the Dangerous Alliance and was eventually given the name 911. Uh, his whole deal basically was hitting a choke slam. Yeah. Like he hit, that was his one thing was hitting choke slams. Yep. And because Heyman is so good at taking very limited guys, finding the thing that is appealing about them and yep. exploiting it. Mm -hmm. He got over huge for doing this one thing. Yeah. Uh, so he was huge with the ECW crowds doing choke slams. Uh, but earlier in 1996, he and Heyman had a falling out, allegedly over polling, being a dick to the ring crew. Oh, I was going to assume it was money. <laughs> it could have been money. And Heyman was the one who got to the dirt sheets first. <laughs> or is the one uh, editing Wikipedia? Or, or it was like, <laughs> or it was like, listen, I know the money thing's always an issue, but yeah. the tipping point was him being mean to the ring crew. Yeah. Yes. I'm just curious as far as how much of a 
of a references this to the undertaker by calling him tombstone you could read it that way but he doesn't do any mannerisms of the undertaker yeah I mean, he does a choke but the undertaker's not doing a choke slam in 96 so i don't really doesn't come across as much of one at all honestly i mean it just doesn't seem like a name that fits him very well i agree with that I in my notes I called him Roadblock about fifty times before I got done and was like, oh wait, no, Roadblock's a different guy. Yeah, and I saw your notes. I was like, they call him Roadblock because I thought there already was a Roadblock that we yeah. really fancied. Yeah, <laughs> fancied. <laughs> they're they're similar guys in that they're big, they're ugly, and they basically got called in because Luger is beating big guys because he keeps having yeah. matches against the Giant and they want to get him over as a threat to the Giant. And the. And I mean, obviously, we're going to get to the match and how it plays out, but it's like, I feel like this is a great example of how well Heyman's able to get people over there new and how they go over to WCW. And it's like, oh, wait, the magic's still not there. Right. Yep. Out comes Lex Luger, a guy who had so much momentum building up to World War Three. Yeah. Uh, he didn't win the Battle Royal there, which felt like a, we talked about a lot of time. Biggest yes. opportunity. Yep. The next night on Nitro, he had a double countout against Arn in the first round of the U.S. title tournament. Yes. So already even being in that tournament felt like a step down. Mm-hmm. And then he's out in the first round because of a weak finish. Then the next week on Nitro, he beat Rocco Rock, which is meaningless. Yep. Then he was gone for two weeks in Germany. And so now it's the go-home show, and Lex Luger feels totally lost in the shuffle. Yeah. It's it's very frustrating because I was all aboard the Lex Express uh, right before World War Three. Yeah, and it's just I, I mean, I can't think of any good reason why he lost. He did not win the battle royal, other right. than they didn't want to have to deal with like how do we book around him not being in st- at the Star K title match. Yeah, which still it's like it, it's as the years go by, you'll see that these World War Three title matches they happen at various months afterwards. Right. There's not a real setting of like they get it at Starcade. Occasionally yeah. they get it at Starcade, but that's not always a set rule. Right, right. They could have always waited or even been like, I'll give you the title match, but it has to be at the NWO pay-per-view. So be on yeah, our, right. on our battleground in Cedar Rapids. <laughs> in our backyard. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, they lock up and break up quickly. A second go sees both men jostle into a corner where Luger, where Luger breaks cleanly, but, oh, Tombstone shoves him anyway. I'm going to have to try to ignore all the times my note says roadblock. <laughs> I, I should have done a find and replace. <laughs> a shoulder block isn't enough to take Tombstone down, but a clothesline against the top rope does topple the big man to the outside. Uh, no DQ. Luger comes down with a double sledge, and they get back in the ring, where Luger takes Tombstone's head to a turnbuckle. Tombstone takes control with a punch and a clothesline, then a scoop slam and an elbow drop for two. Tombstone gets an Irish whip, and that's enough offense for him, as Luger gets a boot up in the corner and then hits some forearms and clotheslines. Luger gets the flying loaded forearm and calls for the rack, which he gets smoothly, uh, he gets Tombstone's a big dude, and he gets him up very smoothly. Yeah. So I want to give a little credit to Tombstone because mm-hmm. getting a guy up on your shoulders like that is mostly the other guy's effort. Yep. Uh, so that was good because we've seen it be a lot uglier than that. Uh, roadblock being a For specific example, example. The real roadblock. That's all she wrote, and Luger gets the quick submission victory. Suddenly, the giant Luger's Starcade opponent appears in the ring behind Lex. He tosses the total package into a corner and then tries to mash him with an elbow, but Luger dodges it. 
They do the big man, uh, like, wobbly, can you take him off his feet thing yep. for, like, a long time. It's very comical. Yeah. Uh, with punches and clotheslines. And then Luger calls to the rack. He gets the giant up even smoother than with Tombstone. It's like is butter on, getting him up. He's on point tonight. <laughs> uh, but the outsiders appear and Lex skedaddles. Uh, Which, again, makes him look really smart because he gets the fuck out of there right away. It's, it's in my notes that he looks, not only does he look strong in that he was taking it to the giant after having a match, yeah. but then he looks smart because he's the one guy who the NWO didn't just show up and kick the shit out of. He, he yeah. just got out of there. Right. Yeah, so Lex looks really good, uh, despite, like I said, being in the shuffle. At least the way they used him here was pretty decent. Yeah. Um, I don't think they did enough to remind us that, that he actually has a match against the Giant. Like, they could have talked about that a little bit more sure. throughout the match and yep. the angle, I think, but mm-hmm. uh, it was fine. Yeah, it's an, it's just one of, those ca- one of those cases where they're kind of leaving it up to the announcers, and I feel like that, yeah, the announcers kind of drop the ball on that one after a commercial tony shows some replays of the segment last week with the steiner brothers and the two stings and then uh talks a little bit about stings problems with the horsemen and ray mysterio in the donnybrook that ended nitro last week mm-hmm. after that out walks jl no mister just jl now and tony calls him one of the top cruiserweights in the world <laughs> I like that he's not Mister. It's like we're it's more personal now. <laughs> We've gotten to know him. Like when uh, P Diddy became Diddy because he said the P was between him and his fans. Oh, is that what he said? He did. Yeah. He's <laughs> wow. You do you, man. Uh, he must be a heel now because he makes half-hearted heelish gestures at the crowd on the way to the ring. I still feel like that he is not a hundred percent comfortable wearing a mask. I agree with that a hundred percent. The last time we saw Jail was in the World War Three Battle Royal. And prior to that, it was back on October 21st against Bogus Sting. He is all over the B and C shows that we don't watch. Oh, sure. Um, but yeah, if you only watch Nitro, it's occasionally like when he shows up, it's like, oh, he's still around. Okay. Yeah. It's There's so many guys in this roster that there's so many guys that when they show up, you're just like, oh, okay. I didn't oh. know he was still with the company. Good for him. <laughs> Good for him. His opponent tonight is Rey Mysterio Jr., what an ovation for Rey Mysterio, says Tony, despite a frankly tepid reaction from the crowd. Mm. The crowd seems to recognize, like, the big figures. Yeah. They start with chain wrestling until Rey gets a head scissors on JL. Rey is whipped into the ropes and flips over them, but JL drop kicks him in the back, sending him sprawling to the floor. Mysterio dodges a pescado and gets on the apron, only to jump off for a hurricanrana on the floor. JL tries to re-enter the ring, but Ray knees him in the face, then hops to the top rope for a guillotine leg drop while JL is still hung over the second rope. Ray gets a two count, and then back on their feet where JL blocks Arana with a sit-out powerbomb, a moment that I have illustrated and signed by Jerry Lynn. It's that like exact sit-out powerbomb. I recognized oh, the, okay. the outfit that Ray was wearing, and I was like, oh, this is the one that uh, Heisty used in his art. Nice. JL gets a two from that, and he's upset at the counting speed of Mark Curtis. Such a heel move. <laughs> JL gets a backbreaker and yells at some fan. There's, like, one specific fan that he really gets into it with all match. Yeah. He keep, like, when he hits a move, he keeps pointing at that guy and be like, that one was for you. Like, I hurt him for you, you jerk. <laughs> right. JL goes for another power bomb, but Ray flips out of it and does a top rope cabrada into a pin for two. Uh, a cabrada where JL saves his life by like stepping forward and catching him and kind of pulling his feet back yeah completing the rotation (laughs) 
Uh, all match, I think JL is like a fantastic base for Mysterio. He yes. like catches him at all the right times. Mm-hmm. He makes a step or two in the right direction to like just save Ray at the last second. He, he JL is like an unsung hero of this particular one. Because, of course, it's a spotlight for Mysterio, not yes. what JL can do. Yep. JL gets a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker, and Larry and Tony argue over their opinions on Mark Curtis's pin counts. Because, of course, they do. Because <laughs> that's what we're entitled to every week. Ray catches JL with a head scissors that sends JL to the outside, where Ray catches him with an amazing tope suicida. Larry wonders if Ray Mysterio will still be around in 10 years, so it's a fun moment to remind everyone that this match took place 23 years ago, yep. and Rey Mysterio is still wrestling to this day. Yeah. JL gets Ray with the La Mahestral for two. JL goes to the top rope, but Ray springs to his feet and hops up to the top rope to hit a Hurricanrana for the 1-2-3 victory. Uh, this was a fun and exciting short match. Mm-hmm. Uh, just something to prime the pump for Ray versus Liger on Sunday. Yeah, um... Uh, <laughs> A, a, a little level of appreciation was when he did that suicida. Yeah. And he just like drills him in that Tony Schiavone made a, some sort of made a comparison and it wasn't a racist comparison. It was just like he came in like a fighter jet. Yeah. yeah and I yeah. was like, thank you. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of things you could say that would just be like, oh, of course, he said that about the, the Mexican wrestler. But they yeah. went with something that just. Yeah. He wasn't a hot tamale or something. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It just. A little appreciation there for something like that. And then Larry Zabisco, I think, added about like, well, it's like one that's crashing. And it's like, and he also didn't go the other route. (laughs) Just a little appreciation for that moment. Immediately following the match, Rey Mysterio goes to the broadcast desk. Mm -hmm. Like when the replays are done, he's there. And poor breathless Rey has to cut a promo. Yeah. Now, is he going to talk about his match or his feuds or wanting the cruiserweight title or anything. Is he going to at least mention Jushin Thunder Liger? No, he's here to talk about Sting and Sting exclusively. Yes. That was a tremendous match, my man. Congratulations. Here, here, let's, let's, is this mic okay? Can we use this for him? Okay, what's up? Tony, there's one thing. Everybody's saying that Sting is going to join the NWO. Well, that he has joined the NWO. That's a rumor. Started from NWO. That's not true. Last week, I jumped on Sting's back. We saw that, yeah. What he did, his reaction, his reaction was normal. Not like what Kevin Nash did when he threw me into the trailer. Right. Back this past summer, I remember that. Or when the giant picked me up with one hand and he threw me out of the ring trying to end my career. Okay. World War III. Sting! If you're listening, I know you're not going to betray us just like Hogan did. Tony, one thing. Can you please replay that tape one more time so the people and so you could see that Sting did not try to hurt me? He wasn't trying to hurt me. Sting reacted normal. Sting is WCW. You're talking about Sting, hero videotape? That's right. That's right. Could you please replay that tape? Can we do it? I would it? like to see it. I, I'm sure we are looking for it right now, Ray, but certainly. You know, I hate to tell you, Ray, but the dreams of youth are the nightmares of when someone gets older. You've got to face the facts and realize exactly what Sting did. He turned his back on everybody. He did not turn his back on everybody. He was in backup. I jumped on his back, 
and he reacted like any other person would do. He didn't know it was me. When he knew it was me, that's when he just decided to let me go. Ray, we do have that videotape. Please play it. Okay, let's play it for you, for everyone here who's been chanting Sting's name. Let's take a look. Uh, Ray says that everyone says that Sting is going to join the NWO, but Ray thinks that's just a rumor started by the NWO, and it isn't true. Hmm. Mysterio says that Sting's reaction last week, uh, when he threw Mysterio off his back into the floor, was normal. Not like the times that Nash and the Giant have thrown him around into trailers or out of yep. the ring for World War III, etc. Right. Yep. Ray tells Sting that he knows Sting won't betray WCW. Ray asked Tony to... This is kind of where it gets a little confusing. It sounds like what Ray asked Tony to do is play a replay from last week when he jumped on Sting's back and Sting dropped him. Yeah. Because he's like, I want to prove that Sting wasn't trying to hurt me. Yeah. Um... But what actually gets played is just the I Need a Hero video yes. of Sting. Yep. So I, that's very strange. Um, but there's a, I think there's a couple more lines in the promo. Larry says that Sting has turned his back on everyone, but Mysterio is very insistent. Yeah, then they, they just play the video. So Mysterio looks like a real goofball. Because he comes out and he just talks about Sting. Sting mm. beat him up. I mean, he didn't hit a bunch of moves, but Sting got the better of him. Yeah. And here he is a week later to be like, you know what? Sting's actually really great, you guys, and I want you to play a video that proves it. And then they just play this promo video instead, and then when you come back, Mysterio's gone, and that's all you hear from him. Yeah, and it seems like it's a little... Because Larry Zbysko throws out some goofy, like, adage that he get mixes up, and Rey Mysterio just kind of repeats what he said, so I don't feel like he was prepared to banter with him. Like, he kind of had, like, his line to deliver... And it seems like there is confusion as far as what they were going to play because he does say to play the video from last week. And then Stefani's like, oh, like the, the promo package. And Ray's like, yeah, sure, that's what I was talking about. So I think there was confusion there. And also I feel like Ray's not really in the position to – I think he's like, I'll disagree with whatever they say. I'm not in the position to be like, that's confusing. Um, yeah. But also – I think it's a plus for Ray Mysterio in the fact that he is still being involved in like the big – uh, the angle in WCW. That's true. Um, he he fits in the overall ecosystem. He's not like corned off in cruiserweight corner. Yeah, and yeah, and like his reasoning for thinking that Sting is still WCW makes sense. Sure, and he because he's talking like I jumped on him. He didn't know who I was when he threw me off and saw it was me. Then he left the ring. He didn't keep attacking me. That's true. And he is he's like that's a very reasonable reaction for any wrestler to have. Um, so I I mean it wasn't eloquent. But I felt like he came out with like good reasons besides like I just think he's WCW through and through. Yeah, like he had reasons behind it. So, and and you know it's nice to have Rey Mysterio get some promo time too. But it was also kind of funny because he was standing next to the booth and he was like shorter than the guys that were sitting down. Sure. It kind of, I mean, obviously we know he's short, but that was a very high emphasis <laughs> on how short he is. After a commercial, we get some pyro as it's now hour number two. Tony is joined by Bobby Heenan and Mike Tanay and says that according to the NWO, Roddy Piper is there tonight. Uh, the, the NWO has like sent a message to the broadcast booth, he keeps saying. Yeah. Uh, but he stresses that no one other than the NWO has, has said that they've seen Piper. Bobby said that he's told people for years that Hogan is a liar and nothing has changed. We see replays of Hogan's promo from earlier. After that, lasers are everywhere, as here comes Glacier. Ooh, it's getting so cold. <laughs> he has also been gone for a couple weeks. 
Uh, right before that, I believe, was when we saw him face off with Hardbody Harrison. And the announcers breathlessly try to, like, race through all of his backstory <laughs> while he's doing his entrance. They sure do. They're trying to tell us about the helmet, about his dad being a police officer, and now his brother is a police officer, which I don't really remember from before. They're but hitting all the classics. <laughs> they're just running through. They definitely, like, Tanae has a note card with all this stuff, and he's yeah. just, like, been told you have to get through all of this <laughs> tonight. I did. It's just, I know they mean well, but it's just, it's silly when they talk about that helmet being hundreds of years old. Yes, it is. Because it looks like it's made out of styrofoam. Um, Yeah, yes. Uh, He's also not wearing the makeup over one eye anymore, and I can't remember if that's new or if he hasn't been doing that for a little bit, but I just thought I'd mention it. Mm. Uh, Glacier's opponent gets no introduction. He's just already in the ring. Mm, I now like we, his odds. <laughs> we have seen Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker on Nitro before, but it was as the Leprechaun. Okay. Uh, we have seen him under this gimmick once, but it was in the World War Three Battle Royal, so only okay. very briefly. But technically, oh. he's not new to the show. And we just talked about him being on Saturday Night. Uh, we did, yeah. Our previous episode, he jobbed the hell out to someone. Yeah, he is. He's a jobber mainly, but I, I, I shouldn't even say mainly. Mainly, he is a trainer at the power plant. Oh yeah, yeah. Um. So, but he does he, show up and and kind of put over the guys that he trains. But he freelances as a jobber. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Glacier starts off quickly, sweeping Parker's leg for a two-count. He catches a punch and takes Parker down with some flashy arm drags. Parker gets a brief moment of offense before eating a bunch of kicks. Like, so many kicks. (laughs) Glacier stays in control, uh, eventually putting Parker on the turnbuckle, and then standing on the second rope so he can kick Parker in the side of the head and send him crashing. It's yeah. like it's a little too brutal for a babyface move to me <laughs> to sit a guy up on the top turnbuckle, yeah. kick the side of his head so he falls to the floor. Oh, I don't know, man. Not his, cool. Crack his head open. The crowd is silent. Like, yeah, the glacier stuff had kind of been getting over at different points, but it is not working here. Uh, in the ring, he does a cool. I don't know what to call it. He does like a, a kick where he kind of kicks like. He's so flexible that he kicks like all the way around and kicks Parker in the back of the head. I just, if you want to see it, watch it. I'm yeah. not, I don't know how to describe it. He does kicks. lots of kicks. He does lots of different so kicks. So many goddamn kicks. <laughs> Eventually, he hits a slam. Then he hits the spinning kick, which Tanae calls the cryonic kick, the first time that that has been named by yeah. the announcers on the show. Uh, but Parker fucks up and kicks out of it. Yeah. He sure the does. one thing you should not do yeah. is make this brand new guy they're trying to push, or not brand new anymore, but this new guy they're trying to push make his finisher look weak, but that's what Parker does. He kicks out of the crowd at kicks, so Glacier hits it again and gets the pinfall. This was not good. It, they need to either give him something to do, like a real feud. Yeah. Also, they need to change it up and mix in. It can't just be a martial arts demonstration. It has to be a wrestling match where his moves are martial arts martial arts based. Yeah, and also it it feels like it's a not a good like look if your trainer is very uncooperative. Yeah, that's like he, so weird. He seems like he is either. I I just remember that he is just not very interested in selling very efficiently for him. Yeah, and that's before he just kicks out, which I assume is a mistake. It was not him, like trying to one up glacier or anything like I that. I think I think what it probably was was they had a limited time and they wanted to get over a bunch of moves yeah. and kicks. So there just wasn't the time to sell cuz he's got to like ow that hurt. Now I have to get in place for the next thing. Now sure. I you know, so I think that was more it. I could also see that if you're not entirely familiar with glacier and it's like 
yeah, I didn't know it was a finisher because he's just been kicking me the whole time. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's another just a kick. different kick. Yeah, so that was frustrating. <laughs> but it it just feels like that the trainer being like just such a bad opponent, especially just like trying to make someone look good. Yeah. You're kind of like, well, I wonder how that training's going then. <laughs> After a commercial, O Canada is playing, and the amazing French Canadians make their way to the ring along with Colonel Robert Parker. Public Enemy are out next, carrying a table. Mike Tenay says, Public Enemy's motto has been violent by design, naughty by nature. And I guess we should add intimidation by furniture as well. Yeah, and it's kind of like, <laughs> yeah, that's just a, a little bit of a silence on that. Gonna one. let that hang in the air like the wet fart it is. And just there's something very weird about Public Enemy being faces, baby faces. Yeah, because they come out wearing the WCW beanies. Although, in to their credit, the fans are really into them. I don't know if it's ironic or not, but they're definitely like there's a lot of fans doing like the waving the hands in the air. Yeah, as if they might not care. <laughs> now somebody, which is, which is anybody, super, everybody scream. Yeah. <laughs> Which, again, is another super nice. This is the most 90s episode we've had so it, far. It, no shit. Um, so they're, they, they're over, but it's just it seems very weird for their characters to be smiling and glad yeah. handling and all that stuff. It, just, it doesn't fit them very well. The amazing French Canadians try to sing O Canada, but of course Public Enemy tire of this and try to attack... But the French Canadians are finally on to the fact that someone will attack them during yes, this. They are. So they briefly are able to fight them off. Uh, but I think Public Enemy is going to get back into it. But I won't steal too much of the action because here to call all this one is the original Legionnaire, our own Dave Amantorp. Well, it was hard to start the play by play for this match because the bell never rang. And doesn't ring. Like yep. Second match tonight that the bell doesn't ring. Um, I did mention the fact that they were able to thwart them to the point where they could start the song a second time, which makes <laughs> Public Enemy just look weak. Uh, however, they're not able to do it the second time either, as both members of Public Enemy use their beanies to blind their opponents. <laughs> in which it's like, okay, who's going to be the one that hams it up? And it's Piero that hams it up. He does the swinging at people he can't see because of beanie. Yeah. They can just take off his head. Is blinding him. Anyway, after being double teamed by Public Enemy, Jacques Rougeau tries to restore order by going to his team's corner, but is immediately slingshot back into the ring. So we're not going to have any fucking rules for this match. Right. Even Jacques Rougeau, who's the heel, is like, okay, but it's a tag team match, all right? There's rules to this, and Public Enemy will not have any of it. Eventually, both of the amazing French Canadians are sent out of the ring as Johnny Grunge indicates that they're going to use the table next because who fucking cares if we win or not? <laughs> uh, they try for the flyby on Jacques but are stopped when Pierre Olette pulls Rocco Rock out of the ring and throwing him into the guardrail. This gives the amazing French Canadians the chance to double-team Johnny Grunge while Colonel Robert Parker puts the boots to Rocco Rock. I like to make a note that referee Mickey J can see this, but he simply does not care. Uh, Pierre then picks up Grunge as though he's like setting him up for like a heart attack finisher. Yeah. But Jacques comes off the top turnbuckle and hits what I would say is a version of the Rough Rider on him and only for a one count. I don't think it was Mickey J. I think it was Scott Dickinson, by the way. Oh, I don't think Mickey cares. J is with WCW yet. I, I would not correct, except for I don't think they even Mickey J is not even like around yet. Okay. I don't think. Well, whoever the referee is, 
of no identity, <laughs> of no worth. You know what? You can shit on Scott Dickinson because he never even responded to my DM about whether he wanted to do an interview for the show. You slid it to a WSW referee's DM. I did, and I thought maybe he—I thought maybe he'd say no, but just to say nothing is more annoying. Yeah. Just tell me like I'm not interested. That's fine. Just say fuck off. Yeah, I would so, honestly appreciate a fuck off more than I'd appreciate nothing because I would screen cap that and I'd share it to all my fans. <laughs> um, so he he hits this like kind of rough rider sort of thing. It's only for one count. So it's odd because Jock lands on Johnny Grunge, and so he can immediately go for a pinfall. There's a one, and then Jock just, like, starts arguing with the referee without a kickout. It's very, it's a very strange uh, yeah. sequence. Uh, Jock then places uh, Johnny Grunge into a Boston Crab while Pierre comes off the top rope for a leg drop. But instead of going for a cover, Pierre goes outside and grabs Public Enemy's table because no one wants to win this match. <laughs> they place it on the top turnbuckle to assist with hitting the Quebec crash. But Rocco Rock recovers in time to shake the table, which apparently causes Jacques to throw <laughs> his tag team partner into the ring. I mean, I... No, I get what they're going for, but that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, it results in Pierre hitting nothing but canvas instead of Johnny Grunge. And also, the table just breaks in half. Yeah. It, and it has, like, I, I know people always talk about, like, pre-broken tables. And I always assume that's kind of an urban legend. Mm-hmm. But this one just clearly breaks in oh, half. Oh, yeah, for sure. And that's just from falling off the turnbuckle to the ring. Anyway, Public Enemy then grab uh, one part of the broken table and hit here in the face with it, resulting in themselves getting disqualified. So this was just kind of a mess from the beginning. They're, I mean, amazing French Canadians are are always good for some good double team moves. Yeah. But this is uh, pretty much just a brawl. There's really no tags or anything. And then this just a disqualification victory. Yeah, that was a weird one. The lack of it. Like, I'm still unclear if it was an official match because the, I mean, the bell rang at the end. I, I'm assuming there was a, a DQ, but it just like, it never rang to begin the match. It just yeah. seemed like a brawl that happened that eventually yeah. ended. Well, the thing is that they announced that the Amazing French Canadians win by disqualification yeah. and they start playing their music. I suppose, and, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Amazing French Canadians, they celebrate like it's the biggest victory of the year. Yeah. Which is, I always like that when the heels are happy with any sort of victory. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Kurt Robert Parker's like hugging them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah. So it, there's, the, after that, it's it's kind of a, a nice little like heel moment there. But I, I don't know the point of this match. Yeah. I don't, neither of these teams have anything really going for them. So I don't know what they're trying to build. I it's mean, weird ma- for a go-home show. You should not, you should not be like needing to fill up the time. You should yeah. have plenty of things that you need to get to. Right. And not just wasting time with this kind of stuff. Yeah, because I, I feel like for WCW a lot when it comes to like a like kind of putting in segments to hype up their matches for the pay per view, they're they're they always say, well, one of the guys will have a match and then the other guy will show up. Yeah, both those guys don't have matches yeah. on the Nitro, so we don't get Luger with a match and the Giant with a match. Yeah, it's just the one. So they could have filled that in. They could have just had the Giant just obliterate someone. And that would have been more effective than whatever on earth this is for. The announcers afterward keep uh, harping on the NWO's lies that Piper is there, and they assure us that he definitely isn't. Piper is not there tonight, not even for a second. (laughs) When we come back from a commercial, Tony reminds us that last week Big Bubba joined the NWO, and we see a replay of that happening. 
I did see that Trump picture, by the way. I saw you looking at that. <laughs> Is that was that like recent? Are people still like aghast uh, at the sight of him, their their savior? Hey. Uh, <laughs> wow! <laughs> Look at him in his glorious uh, spray tan. Tonight. Tonight, Bubba is going to face one of the men he betrayed uh, from his old group, the Dungeon of Doom, in Conan. Tanae says that of all the factions in the WCW, the Dungeon of Doom was always considered the strongest until Ooh. Bubba defected. Yes, this whole sentence is a lie from the <laughs> start. The very premise is ridiculous. The, there's... There, for the next like like segment and a half, it's very weird. They're hyping up Bubba yeah. now as an NWO member having a marquee matchup. Uh, Conan comes out telling the... He's accompanied by Jimmy Hart. Uh, and he tells the camera that this is for you, Dungeon of Doom. This is for you, Kevin Sullivan. This is for you, Taskmaster. <laughs> and then he just starts shouting Ariba Mexico. And it's just like, what a weird match for the Dungeon of Doom. <laughs> right. He... <laughs> It's all these, like, scary, spooky guys, and then a guy who really likes Mexico. Yeah, he has a lot of Latin <laughs> pride. And then during this, we have Mike Tanay like, doing some retconning for uh, the Dungeon of Doom, saying that, that Bubba was the lieutenant of sorts. Yeah. He suggests that, and then says that Conan's going to try to take his position as lieutenant, this position I just made up <laughs> for the Dungeon of Doom. Uh, in a bad sign for Conan, Nick Patrick is the referee for this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, not good, considering there's an NWO guy involved, of course. A lot, a lot more focus for Nick Patrick than for Conan. Oh, yeah. Like, they're like, there he is without his mask and without his neck brace either. Yep, yep. What's going on? Bubba gets control early with strikes and an elbow drop. Bubba rolls to the outside to threaten Jimmy Hart with some bodily harm, allowing Conan to surprise him with a suicide dive. He follows with a kick off the apron before throwing, then drop-kicking Bubba into the steel steps. Patrick angers Conan with a very slow 10 count that allows Bubba to get back into the ring. He is It is, like, very hilariously slow how slow he's counting. Mm-hmm. Back in the ring, Conan and Bubba exchange punches until Patrick suddenly holds back Conan's fist, allowing Bubba to kick him and slap on a chin lock. Nick Patrick warns Jimmy Hart about nothing so that Bubba can choke Conan with a bandana and throw him over the top and to the outside. After some back and forth, Bubba chokes Conan again, and Patrick gives him an extremely slow uh, five count that allows Bubba to keep the choke on forever, with Bubba eventually pretending to defer to his authority. He's like, okay, referee, okay, I'm listening. (laughs) Jimmy Hart is... Big Bubba, no trouble. (laughs) Jimmy Hart is pissed and gets warned by Patrick. After a couple of similar moments where Bubba uh, keeps choking Conan and Nick Patrick's just allowing it, Hart gets, like, furious. He tries to get some revenge by tripping Bubba while he comes off the ropes, but Patrick sees it and yells at him. Hart hops up onto the apron to start yelling back, pointing in Patrick's face. His finger may barely brush Patrick's nose, but Patrick sells like he's been poked extremely hard just accosted yeah yeah and so he tosses jimmy hart complete with big overdone miming mo- movements like which, he's playing to the back seats on the tossing him it's, which that would be like uh what a face would do Not that's true heel. that's kind of true conan hits some corner punches and a somersault clothesline followed by a standing drop kick he throws bubba over the top rope into the outside so uh-oh dq yep right away oh, and some one of the commentators is like, 
Oh, that's a disqualification. It's Heenan, I believe. Yeah. yeah. That's the way it goes. That's the rules. It's, it was really stupid. This all was kind of pointless to me. I mean, I guess it was just to kind of remind us, you know, to cement Bubba as part of the NWO and, right. and start this feud. I don't think they actually mention it even later on the show, but uh, there is a Bubba versus Conan match that we are going to have to sit through at Starcade. Oh, no. So, yeah, it's partially just setting that up. Oh, God. I just, without looking... I can only imagine the referee for that match. I think it's a strap match, or I, I know at some point they do a strap match. I think it's Starcade, but I'm not positive. Oh, man. So this could be a few <laughs> that last more than a show. <laughs> Please make it be a strap match and put an end to it right away. Conan stalks Patrick in the ring and finally grabs him, but Bubba saves Nick Patrick and pulls him to the outside. He, like, cradles Nick Patrick's head yeah. like he's a little baby or something. <laughs> And Patrick swears that he is going to find Conan and Jimmy Hart. Yep. Conan promises that this ain't over, and we go to break. That is the darkest threat he could possibly manage. <laughs> After uh. the break, we get Lee Marshall's road report from Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, where the <laughs> the World's Fair left that uh, big dome full of wigs from the Simpsons. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's what I think of when I think of Knoxville. Yeah. Uh, excuse me, is this the World's Fair Visitor Center? Used to be, back in 1982. <laughs> You're 14 years too late. But there's another World's Fair coming soon, right? Before Friday? What about the Sun Sphere? <laughs> you mean the Wigs Fair. You're welcome to go up there if you want to see 16,000 boxes of unsold wigs. Now, you gentlemen going to buy some wigs, or ain't you? Marshall says that down the road from Dollywood, he spotted an empty lot that would be the perfect spot for Heenan's new Weasel World theme park. Weasel World. Heenan says that Marshall will be the main attraction at the park, and for half a buck, you can ride him. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> that was probably like one of those better in his head sort of things. Uh, it, it does crack up the other announcer. Like, Tanae and Shivani think it's oh, very funny. Then that's probably that's probably mission accomplished I think him. I think in general, like, Lee Marshall is a guy that you, like, make fun of and everyone thinks that it's very cool. <laughs> <laughs> right. He's probably, like, Mike Tanae probably even gets jokes on him. I am looking and Bubba versus Conan is not at Starcade, so it must be a future. Maybe it's on the uh, sold out. Yeah. Uh, so it is. A, it is a future now, that's thing we kind have of, to watch. But it's kind of ringing a bell that there is a strap match. I feel because I feel like Sold Out has a bunch of gimmick matches. We also, um, we also do have a, a clash coming up in January, so maybe it's on there. Okay. The WCW Cruiserweight Champion Dean Malenko makes his way to the ring. Tony plugs an upcoming Chicago Nitro. Uh, we talked about that in our last Worldwide episode. That takes place on January twentieth, which is basically sold out. Uh, and the next night will be Clash of the Champions emanating live from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. That's going to be a weird. It's a weird week because it's like um, Nitro. Then it's like a Tuesday Clash of Champions. And then a Sunday or a Saturday pay-per-view yeah. in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Yeah. Which anytime if we ever talk about pay-per-views, I'm always like they should be on Saturdays and not Sunday night. I don't I don't like these pay-per-views that you're like the night before you Monday before you're going to work. Yeah. You're up until yeah, like that's 10. Yeah. That's true. I, I think I'm with you. I I think or, I'm really used to Sunday, but I think you're right that, objectively speaking, Saturday is probably the better day. And that, that's at least a, a plus that um, AEW has been doing. Their pay-per-views have been on Saturday. 
Out to face Malenko is the WCW television champion, Lord Steven Regal. I'm assuming because of the weight limits involved, this match is for Regal's television championship, but not Dean Malenko's cruiserweight championship. I would think so, yes. (laughs) Uh, Well, anyway, here to call all of the action is our own televised Dave Amantorp. Okay. Uh, yeah, and this this is in fact for the uh, world television. This is in fact for the world television title. Um, there is a point that Tanay makes that during the match. I don't know when it is, but he suggests that Malenko by Sunday could have ten championships if he wins the TV title and wins the J Crown. So I I like I just adding the po- real possibility that Malenko could win this match. Always a plus from commentators. So the match begins with a little bit of uh, sizing up action, which Regal gains the advantage of on account of a wrist lock. He holds on to it until Malenko loses his balance and drops to the mat, then applies it once again. Malenko powers out and gets Regal into a test of strength in which both men display their athleticism by bridging um, on the mat and then returning to their feet. Both men counter each other by flipping and even cartwheeling away from each other's offense, the cartwheel from his lordship. But when Malenko catches Regal's boot, it sets him up to hit a loud Inseguri, which I don't know if it was uh, just an actual flush hitting him or if it's uh, a really well-covered leg slap. I don't remember seeing many leg slaps back in the 90s, to be frank with you. Yeah, that's true. Uh, one second later... Also, I appreciate your frankness. Oh, thank you. Just thanks for being so direct. Yeah, I, I feel like if I add that in there, it's less shocking. <laughs> Uh, one second later, fucking Sonyono appears to deprive ourselves of precious moments from this matchup. <laughs> By the time Ono gets to ringside, we see Regal drive Malenko to the mat with a variation of a front chancery in which he has both his forearms locked around uh, Dean's skull. Mm-hmm. I didn't know exactly what the, that move was, but he, he has it locked in for quite some time. He pulls and pushes and bullies his smaller adversary to the mat as the referee uh, quickly ejects Sonny Ono for something. I mean, I missed what on earth. Yeah, did. it's really, it's nothing. Especially like the stuff that people normally get up to. Yeah. Although I guess here's the thing. I guess he's he's not the manager of anyone in the match. Yeah. He's literally just some fuckhead wandering around. Yeah. So it's probably perfectly fair to eject him for nothing. He shouldn't yeah. be there. There's no reason. And and he is a manager for other wrestlers. Right. You know. Um, that was the only thing I could, I could think of is that the moment the referee sees him, he ejects him. Um, but other than that, it's such a quick thing. I'm, I'm failing to see the whole point of him even being out there. Although he is kind of like hamming it up, um, down the aisle and stuff like that. So I think there's some kind of unseen, um, antics from him. Yeah. Malenko finally escapes the front chancery, but cannot capitalize as Regal kicks him and hits him with a European uppercut. Regal continues to beat and stretch Malenko as he settles in with a head scissors in which he traps Malenko's head and his right arm. Dean manages to get a leg on the ropes and to break the hold. We get some more back and forth action which results in Malenko hitting a side suplex. But Malenko's offense is once again cut off by another European uppercut and Regal traps him in an abdominal stretch. So this is a very Regal heavy offense kind of match. yeah yeah which makes sense because for these two guys like he's a he's a giant monster man compared to <laughs> yes. Dean Malenko 
it kind of it, the other example I could think of that is the one time the Malenko fought Sting. Yes. And you you look like a child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and also I, I feel like when he gets opportunity, Regal loves to just be in command of matches. Oh yeah, yeah. And I think like finding inventive ways of putting on stretches and locks and stuff like that is kind yeah. of right up his alley. They're both shooters. Like this is a good chemistry matchup for yeah. sure. Uh, Dean escapes the abdominal stretch, avoids a fly knee to the corner, and drops the television champion with a dropkick. Once again, Malenko is unable to follow up as Regal ensnares him with a standing full Nelson. Malenko manages to escape, but there Regal is right behind him, dropping him dropping him to the mat with another European uppercut. However, his attempt at a Boston Crab is unsuccessful as Malenko flips him with his legs. This gave Dean an opening to go for the Texas Cloverleaf, but Regal manages to grab the bottom rope before it could be fully applied. It's kind of it's kind of a, a a funny moment because as soon as he grabs a rope, Malenko drops it. He's like, ah, foiled. When <laughs> most wrestlers don't immediately drop it, they yeah. wait for that count. But it, it's just kind of like that's that's a weird that's a different reaction. Yeah. Back on their feet, and Malenko unloads with a forearm smash to the corner, but Regal yet again gains upper hand. This time with a drop kick of his own. Regal then hits a double underhook suplex for two. Uh, then Malenko capitalizes, hitting a German suplex and then a brainbuster suplex. However, when Dean Malenko goes to the cover, the bell rings as the 10-minute time limit has expired. So this match ends up being a draw. Um, Our second ever in the history of Nitro. Oh, uh, first would be Guerrero and Johnny B. Bad. Yes, which uh, was my match of the year for the first year's worth of Nitro episodes. Yes, and I think that was mine too. I can't remember. It could have been. Either that or it was the Guerrero-Benoit match. We Yeah, we both loved that first one. This... I, this is a good match, but it's not incredible. It's not super special. It's just fine. It really feels like an exhibition. Yeah. Um. And there's like, I never get the sense that these two ever kick it up a gear, or there's no sense of urgency for the yeah, time. Yeah, that's time a perfect way of describing and, it. And and that's kind of like if you're gonna do the draw, that's kind of the dr- dramatics to get to the draw. Yeah. Like Malenko realizing he has very little time left, whereas I feel like both of them kind of lost track. Yeah, it's surprising given the two men involved, but this is like a three and a half star, just fine match. I yeah. I have nothing bad to say about it, but there's I wouldn't recommend. It's not like oh, you've got to go seek this one out. It's the kind of match where I'm like, I'd be interested in seeing them do like a twenty minute match. Yeah, or a yeah. match that feels like that they realize there's something on the line here because I I didn't really feel like that. Like I said, the sense of urgency for this. Uh, yeah. Yep. One one note I have is uh, during the match, this was just like a prescient uh, commentary moment. Tony says, quote, Nitro has become the most watched television program ever. And then Heenan says, and we're going to throw all that away because Hulk Hogan wants the NWO to rule over everything. Oh, wow. Like he didn't mean it as meta commentary, but boy, does it work. As some. <laughs> <Right>. God damn. <laughs> And Hogan's ready to flush it all down the toilet. Uh, very confusingly, Penzer announces that Regal has retained, but he doesn't say how. He doesn't announce that it's a time limit draw. Yeah. So if you're watching on TV, the announcers, they're not sure, but they're like, I guess it was a time limit draw. That must be what happened. Mm-hmm. But if you're live in the arena, just one guy is getting pinned, and then all of a sudden he's announced as the winner with no explanation. He doesn't even call him the winner. He just He literally just says... Lord Steven Regal has retained his WCW television title. Yeah. And they go to commercial. And it's like, oh, that's okay. not enough information. Yes. <laughs> 
After that commercial, we come back to the entrance of Rick Steiner, who comes out with his brother. He's going to be in the main event slot against Jeff Jarrett for reasons that I'm sure won't involve Sting. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Tony tells us that Jarrett and Benoit are now going to face off in a no-disqualification match at Starcade. Uh, So that could be good, too. Wait, what match? Jeff Jarrett versus Chris Benoit. That's just been signed. Oh, Uh, and they kind of he just starts referencing that stuff about Jared wanting to be in the Horsemen and Flair handpicking him. Yeah, that was dropped like weeks ago, but they have to yeah. have some reason for that match to happen. So they just kind of start talking about it again. Uh, I mean, is it is it? It's like uh, Chris Benoit's gonna have an ODQ match, in which Kevin Sullivan's gonna respectfully not <laughs> interfere in. It is weird that um, that the match doesn't involve Kevin Sullivan. I guess it is just so that Sullivan can interfere with it and. They must just be doing a slow build on that. That that's the only thing I can think. Yeah. No, I mean I think that'll be an interesting match. Yeah, um, it's uh, it's. I'm not looking forward to it on the level of those other ones, but like that could be a good match. That could be yeah. like one that surprises you with how good it is. Yeah. I. But it it does not really make sense. Right. I mean, they they can try to to bring those points together to explain it, but it's like okay, just have the match. I'm not really convinced that this is like a feud or anything like that. Right. The two men lock up, and then Jarrett feels that executing an arm drag is reason enough to strut. (laughs) Rick takes him down and just kind of messes around with shoot-style face locks. Like, he's just shooting on him, like, not to hurt him, but just kind of messing around with his face a lot. Yeah, yeah. Jarrett gets back on his feet. Oh, until Jarrett gets back on his feet. As the crowd chants, we want Sting, Steiner catches Jarrett trying a float over and power slams him back first into the corner. Rick hits a snapmare... Rick hits a snapmare, then giggles maniacally as he runs the ropes and hits an elbow drop. Did you notice that? No, I was a little bit checked on. I one. might put an uh, audio clip in there because his laughing as he does this elbow drop is very funny, and it's not something I remember him or, like, anyone doing <laughs> <laughs> before. Snapmare takeover. Steiner having a good time. Listen to it. Big elbow drop. Jared gets back into things with a top rope clothesline, but Steiner catches him moments later for a belly-to-belly. The crowd goes wild as, obviously, fake Sting walks to the ring. Yeah. Tony, who is an idiot, declares, it's Sting! (laughs) Right. But Heenan is not fooled. Sting goes to give the inverted DDT to Jarrett, but Steiner clotheslines him. Jarrett then sits on fake Sting, and Randy Anderson, for reasons that make the mind real, counts the pin! (laughs) Right. The official result is a no contest. What just happened? (laughs) The official result has to be a no contest, but to the casual viewer, the winner was Jeff Jarrett with the help of his opponent over someone who was not in the match. I... (laughs) It's so weird. Yeah, that... (laughs) It makes no sense. Jarrett, like, calls Randy Anderson over, so I guess the only thing is that he's like, we're going to humiliate NWO Sting, and Randy Anderson is like, I'm a WCW guy, and I want to humiliate this fake Sting too. The, the only, but it—that's it, the only way you can read this in kayfabe and have yeah. it be like any I mean, kind of. For one thing, thing, WCW still kind of wants us to be kind of dumb and think that's Sting, right? Which yeah. is not right. There's just no one. You're not being fooled by this anymore. Yeah, it's very obviously fake. But it's just, I, there's, I don't know. It's like that. That decision is so confusing. I just don't even want to like hurt my brain thinking about it. Also, what I was trying to talk about earlier about the the NWO slash bogus thing is like at this point, I feel like he's just on his 
doing his own thing. Yeah. And his own thing is just like, I, I don't know. He's, he's like, picked he's, a couple people at random, and yeah. he just kind of wants to come around and fuck with them. But normally he gets <laughs> completely humiliated. Right. And then he leaves. My, my only thought is that he enjoys being humiliated. Ooh, it's like a kink. Yeah. Yeah. Because the end result's <laughs> always the same. When he knows Sting is not his friend. Yeah. He, either that or he is delusional beyond belief. <laughs> that this is the time that Sting yeah. is going to be his, yeah. his pal. And every time he gets beaten up. He does not beat anyone up. He always gets beaten up. Yeah, I'm not really sure what was advanced here at all because the real Sting didn't even appear in the segment. So right. I don't know what was the point of any of that. It definitely seems like a waste this close to the end of the go home show. <laughs> right. Because, because it's I mean, it's the main of there's not another match, so it's the main event match. We do have another segment, but yeah. like you could have spent this time on something more valuable. Yeah, because I don't feel bad spoiling the fact that this NWO Sting thing does not amount to anything. It's re- it really they hired the guy for the fall brawl appearance, yeah. and then they they're just and then the NWO takes credit. So then, okay, now he's been there for two shows. Now we're, he's because I don't even feel like they really consider him an NWO member anymore. Like he doesn't he does not show up with any other NWO members at like any other instance. I, I don't get it. I don't get why this NWO sting is still around. Yeah, me neither. Uh, moving on. After a break, the NWO music plays and once again outwalks your champion, Hulk Hogan, this time alone. Hogan gets a mic and tells us that he just got a... He says a Western Union message. So this motherfucker's still getting telegrams in 1996. <laughs> I mean, in 1996, he probably he probably still thinks that's a legitimate thing. I mean, it, I mean, it was a thing. I never yeah. knew anyone who used it, but like, it did exist. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he says that he got one from Piper, and that Piper has admitted that Hogan is the true icon of wrestling. Now, I think this would have been funnier is if he had a fake telegram in his hand. If he pretended to read the fake telegram, I think that would have been made a a little bit funnier. Yeah, that w- I absolutely agree. Uh, he says that Piper has admitted that Hogan is the true icon of wrestling. Suddenly, Hogan is interrupted by a snare drum and bagpipes, and out walks a man in a leather jacket and a kilt, along with one of those floppy Scottish hats. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it isn't Piper, it's Eric Bischoff. Now Eric's going to get in the ring and pretend he's Rowdy Roddy Piper. Hogan! Just when you thought you knew all the answers, I changed the questions. This is sad. It's not even a good imitation. You know, I did about 180 miles an hour down I-16 right here in Macon. When I heard you challenge me in front of all these people, and I came here to tell you one thing, that can't wait, cannot wait, until the 29th. Hogan, I had no right to be in the ring with you at WrestleMania. And there's no way in the world that I can beat you. I know that. And I also know that I have a family. Six, count them, six kids. And a wrench I can barely afford. 
And if you do to me what you do to everybody, I'll never be able to earn another dollar to feed that family. So I'm going to make it easy on you, Hollywood. Get me a referee out here. We're going to do it right now, right here. No more. No whoa, more. Whoa, Roddy Piper. No more talk. No, no, no. You forgot to do that cute little yeah. sissy thing with your finger whenever you talk. We asked you know, for a referee. We got Nick Patrick. to be a man's man. All right. We're going to do this right here, right now, for this crowd. Referee, are you ready? Are you ready? Wait a minute, Piper. Our sport has okay. reached a new low right, right here, now. Right now. Our sport has reached a new low. You know something for all you Piper fans? I'm not even calling this stuff. That is the end of Roddy Roddy Piper. Sorry. <laughs> and he has on a Hulkster red and yellow shirt on under the jacket as he makes his way to the ring. I just like the idea of, uh, dear Hollywood Hogan, stop. <laughs> you are the true icon of wrestling. <laughs> stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Eric barely attempts a Piper impression, quoting the just when they think they have all the answers, I change the questions line, uh-huh. which is another weird coincidence because um, after Goldust over on Raw on the other channel says that he's not a queer, uh-huh. uh, as he's getting out of the ring, McMahon says, just when they think they have the answers, Goldust changes the questions. <laughs> so that's a weird yeah that's just a weird coincidence that line came up on that must both have shows. Been like some sort of executive like power phrase <laughs> well no it's something that piper said uh in, a, in his i believe the same segment where he breaks the coconut over jimmy snook's head it's like a famous roddy piper quote oh okay. but it's like so piper or bischoff is using it here to make fun of piper because he's pretending to be him yeah and mcmahon was just using it because it happened on his show and he feels like he owns it and that's a, a thing he remembers <laughs> yeah hearing. yeah bischoff then in the character of piper admits quote unquote that he has no right to be in the ring with hogan at wrestlemania and that there's no way he can beat hogan now he says that he has six kids at a ranch that he can barely afford and that if hogan beats him he'll never be able to feed his family bischoff demands a ref so they can just get it over with now <laughs> down comes nick patrick and eric lays down Patrick counts three, and Hogan declares that this is the end of Rowdy Roddy Piper. Oh. Eric bows to him and kowtows to Hogan, just doing, like, some call and response, like, who's the actual icon? You are. Yep. Who's the blah, blah, blah? You are. It's you. Kenny, I, you know, we got here earlier. He wasn't scheduled to be here. But he is an unpredictable man. I like the look of this. There he is. Roddy Piper. There's the Rowdy one. There is Roddy. Roddy Piper. Live here on Nitro. He's going to the ring. Look at his eyes. Look at his eyes. No fear at all. We don't have to wait until Sunday. Here we go. We're going to have it right now on Nitro. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, what you gonna do? Look, he struck it off! They're having no effect on Piper! Oh, oh. Here we go. Yeah. NWO's hit the ring! And they're holding Piper! 
And more reinforcements yeah. heading from the back. And here they are. Look, look at the balcony. Sting is in the rafters. Sting is once again in the rafters. Just watch it calmly. What can be going through his mind? But out walks an honest-to-God actual line of bagpipers and drummers. Yeah, that was unexpected. Somehow they were all backstage close to the entryway, but Eric didn't notice them. And Hogan's not like, hmm, I wonder what they're here for. <laughs> oh, Eric's really pulled out all the stops. <laughs> and then Eric being like, oh, Hogan's really pulled out all the stops. They march down the aisle. Uh, it's kind of a... So let me describe what happens first, I guess. They march down the aisle. They're all facing the ring. And then they stop in place. They kind of do that bagpiper march in place thing. Yep. And then on a, on a certain moment, they all turn towards each other making like a little aisle way and then around a corner Piper comes and he's all of a sudden in the middle of them walking down. Yeah. That choreography and moment is really cool, especially as you get to the back and it's just the drummers going as Piper makes his appearance. Yep. At the same time, there's something the total opposite of intimidating about this group of old men. Like it's just, they're, they're all doughy old men who have taken up bagpiping as a hobby they are yeah. not at all intimidating or scary. Right. So it's a little silly, but then at the moment where they snap to attention and Piper comes out, I was like, fuck yeah. So yeah. I, I had a mix of emotions as I watched <laughs> this. Right. Uh, Piper takes it to Hogan and they trade punches. Uh, Piper's basically, when it's one-on-one, he's getting the better of him. But of course the NWO runs down, the outsiders are there. And the the crowd was eating that stuff up, yes, too. Yes, they were. like they Because they're doing the slow trading punches and the, the crowd's doing the boo whenever Piper hits. Yeah. But they're like silent for Hogan. It, yeah. It's like you, f- for the first time in this feud, it's finally feeling like a big, big fight. Uh, unfortunately, it's also feeling a little bit like the Halloween havoc buildup with Savage where the entire NWO just beats the shit out of Piper. Yeah. Uh, and that's the way the show ends. Like Piper had been doing a much better job of, ending these angles on top for once. Yep. Um, but, and uh, not to spoil things, but but given Starcade, I think it's okay that he ends the go-home show on the victim of a beatdown. I think that's going to get redeemed in the long term. Mm-hmm. So whereas maybe, uh, like right now, if I were watching this live in 96, I'd be like, oh, God, it's the savage shit all over again. Right. Uh, with the benefit of knowing where they're going, like this this is not a necessarily a bad thing. Yep. Uh, so I thought the angle was okay. We're at the point as we get to the next pay-per-view where the promos and the angles are getting repetitive. The Horseman promos are getting repetitive. The Hogan promos are getting repetitive. Like, it's time to have the matches and move on to the next thing. Right. Um, So, I kind of thought, overall, because of that, this was an average to maybe slightly below average show. Okay. I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it. Mm -hmm. And for a go-home show for Starcade which, depending on who you ask, is the biggest show of the year. It really seems to depend on who's in charge. Bischoff, as we've talked about, really looks at Halloween Havoc as being more the biggest show of the yeah. year. Um, well, I mean, and Tony Schiavone was occasionally using the, the granddaddy of a mall. That's true, yep. Um, this, I know I know Bischoff made a WrestleMania reference. He did when he was, when he was in, in character as um, Piper. Piper. He yeah. said, yeah, that he didn't deserve to be in the ring at the original WrestleMania or whatever. But Yeah. I, I just it's just noteworthy whenever sure, they yeah. especially with the lawsuit that I mean that's kind of a I feel like it's a riskier move. Yeah, that's true. We'll see how it pays off. Um so I just I didn't think this was a very great show. What about you? What would you think? I I mean I think I thought it was fine. Um 
just I mean not really anything that that stuck out as being memorable. Um, I mean, there's a, a few matches I'm really excited for at Starcade. I mean, it's been kind of a gap because like the, I mean World War Three. There's not really like individual matches you get excited for, and I felt like the Halloween Havoc was pretty disappointing. Other than the Cruiserweight title match, I feel like this is has the most promise for like undercard matches that we've had in a, yeah. f- a few pay per views. And I'm already kind of uh, on, sold on on seeing Starcade, yeah. seeing how it plays out. Oh so, yeah, I'm excited to watch Starcade. For yeah. Sure. yeah. So as a fan, I didn't feel like I needed this episode to really uh, sell me on Starcade. Um, but again, it's just I don't know. It just it, it does feel a little bit like half-assed the way that they sometimes hype these matches. Let's go through. Let's. Let's go through real quick here. The Starcade matches that these are confirmed. I'm looking at the Wikipedia results page here. Yeah. And just talk about what was advanced on this show. Sure. Sonny Ono, or excuse me, Ultimate, Ultimo Dragon versus Dean Malenko. Uh, Malenko had a match. Sonny Ono was there. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I mean. We were reminded the match happen is happening. Yeah. Um, but certainly, like, they could have done a little bit more somehow, probably. It, it just it seems like it hurts when you don't see both opponents. Right. Akira Hokuto. Nope. Against Medusa. Nope. <laughs> nope. Nothing. Not nope. at all. Uh, Rey Mysterio versus Jushin Liger. Nope. Nope. Uh, Chris Benoit against Jeff Jarrett. I mean, that match just got made tonight, and we found that out. I mean, it was more than it was last week in which it wasn't a thing. But, I mean, just one announcer saying because I missed it yeah. when they said it. So as far as a, if I'm a fan that missed that point, I don't know that match is happening. The Outsiders against the Faces of Fear. That was more last week, this week. not. Yep. I mean. That, that was fine because it was a, a bigger focal point last week. Yeah. So I'm I'm kind of fine with that. I wish they would have mentioned it tonight. And and who knows on the network, we might be missing like a control center type segment. You know, there might be some. Yeah. I doubt I doubt it's just missing on the network, but I mean, it's possible. I when I watched Nitro when it was on, I don't remember Control Center. Yeah, I get, that's more of a Saturday Night Pro worldwide yeah. kind of thing. Uh, Guerrero, Diamond Dallas Page for the U.S. title. That one they did. No doubt about that. That yes. was a big focus of the first part of the show. Yep. Uh, the Giant versus Luger. I yeah, yeah, I mean, I guess. I was fine with what they did there. Yeah. Luger got an enhancement match. The Giant showed up to remind us that that's happening. Yeah, I think it could have benefited from the announcers just reminding you that it is a match, but I felt like from the wrestler standpoint, they did what they could do. And then, of course, Hollywood Hogan versus Rowdy Piper. Yes. That was developed just fine. Piper finally got his hands on him for a brief moment, showed he could hang with him until the numbers game came into play. Yeah. So, yeah. So, there's a good portion of that undercard that was not even mentioned or barely mentioned on right. tonight's show. Yeah. So I would say that's kind of where my issues are. Yeah. So, I mean, I would for a go-home show, the Nitro before Starcade, I felt like it under-delivered in trying to deliver the pay-per-view. But like I, I was saying, I guess I really wasn't um, as aware of that because I was already sold on the pay-per-view yeah. at this point. I think for the majority I don't, I, I think, I feel like for the majority of fans, you're probably sold on getting a pay-per-view before that go home show, I would agree with that. Um, but yeah, I, I, this is going to be one of those shows that kind of is uh, kind of forgotten after a few weeks. All right, well, uh, that's gonna do it for our show. The only thing left to do is talk about our segment of the night and our MVP. This week, let's start with our MVP, and I'm going to give mine 
to uh, Rey Mysterio Jr. Okay. I think he was good. All right. <laughs> uh, it's not that they're, I'm not saying the whole show is bad. It's just hard to pick a standout performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in his enhancement or, you know, not, uh, in his match that was designed to make him look good, I think he looked really good. Yep. I think JL would be like a sneaky smart choice, you know, for like sure. being such a good base. But like, yeah. no, it was it was Ray that had to execute, you know, the hard stuff. And I think he did a good job with it. Mm-hmm. So. I'm giving it to Ray. Who is your MVP? My MVP is the crippler Chris Benoit. Um, He is spoiler in my match or segment of the night. Yep. Um, And then I also really enjoyed him doing the talk to the hand thing afterwards. (laughs) Truly bizarre. There was uh, a little, you got a little bit of everything yeah. from the Canadian Crippler <laughs> this time around. So I gave mine to Chris Benoit. Well, it sounds like uh, we're going to be in lockstep on segment of the night because mine was uh, Eddie Guerrero versus Chris Benoit. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I, if you would have told me about both matches ahead of time, I would have thought I would have liked Regal Malenko more. Yes. But having watched them, Guerrero Benoit was the better match. Yeah. That, that was the same way of thinking I had too. I thought the other one was going to surprise me. I was... I, I feel like my big takeaway from the in-ring this week was like, I was just kind of disappointed in the Regal versus Malenko. Yeah. I feel like that they're capable of a lot more. Um, I think sometimes it could be too much of a good thing with Regal being on offense, just way too much Yeah, in that match. Because then I didn't feel like that he was very effectively defeated by the Brain Buster. Mm-hmm. It was just like... And it just, it didn't, like I mentioned that sense of urgency. Because yeah. there's, there's a 10-minute time limit. The opponent needs to be aware. Because that's a short time. Yeah. Uh, I I feel like that other draw that we had was a 15-minute. I, mean, I don't know if we have. Maybe I think it was 10, but I'm not positive. Not off the top of my head. Yeah. So, yeah. So, my, my match segment of the night was Chris Malaw versus Eddie Guerrero. Um and I'm looking forward to Eddie Grove as a page. I know they've faced each other before, and I think they'll, they'll have a really great match. Yep, looking forward to that. Looking forward to a lot of matches on Starcade. Of course, before you hear our Starcade 1996 episode, you will hear our worldwide episode where we talk about everything else that happened in wrestling this week. Uh, we'll talk about what happened over on Raw. We'll talk about the ratings. We'll talk about problems with uh, Paul Heyman and ECW getting their first pay-per-view on the air in 1997. And we and we should try if we can try to see what the that w, that Saturday night year in review. Yeah, because I'm interested to see what they consider to be the highlights of the year. Yeah, we'll see if uh, we can watch that. Uh, and if we do, you'll hear about it right here, where the big boys play. Twenty years of Nitro. I'm trying. I I don't. Why am I drawing a blank as far as the other? Does the NWO have two? Did they actually get two pay-per-views in 97? I don't think they end up doing it because I think sold out was so bad. And I think it has a bad buy rate. Okay. Uh, and I, I'll, I'll edit this part out. But it must have been something that was supposed to involve Conan because it sold out. Big Bubba Rogers faces Hugh Morris, but it's in a Mexican death match. Huh. So I think Conan must get hurt or something because there's no so, way that was the plan. So the first one to kill a Mexican wins? <laughs> <laughs> god damn it <laughs> Jesus Christ oh uh, god damn <laughs> the WCW run rate 